And now a word from our sponsor. When it comes to survey research, the true motivations of survey takers is often concealed by the deep, dark waters of online anonymity. An alarming volume of participants have been exposed to be fraudulent, inattentive, or bots. You've seen the recent groundbreaking cloud research webinar exposing the high volume of fraudsters in the survey industry. I hosted them on both of my podcasts because this work is important to secure the trust in the market research industry. Now, they're back with another presentation. Coming October 12th, Cloud Research will plunge the depths to quantify the presence of fraudsters and share new ways to stop them in their new presentation, A Deeper Dive Inside the Click Farm, What Lies Behind Your Data, Part 2. Don't miss this in-depth look at their latest findings, as well as free access to the Fraud Detection Tool, which can be used to quantify fraud in your own surveys. Visit surveyfraud.com to register now. Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney, the CEO and Mama Bird here with you as always. Today, I have a great friend from across the pond. Fortunately, this summer, we were able to be face-to-face, which always is so much better. Make that connection and to expand really your understanding of who someone is. And so you are going to love hearing from my guest today. Welcome to the show, James Pickles. Thank you, Priscilla. Indeed. Very nice to meet you in the flesh and find out that you've got legs. <laughs> Not just this circle face that sits on LinkedIn. And speaking of yeah. which, we've connected for years on LinkedIn. And I feel like we've had a lot of meaningful conversations, but it is different in person. Yeah, I've had like an asynchronous relationship much of the time as we gleefully liked each other's stuff. <laughs> but I think what we saw immediately in each other was this authentic approach to posting. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. This is really why I wanted to have you on. It's such an important connection to have with someone when you just know that they are showing up truly as they are. And I love it too, when I ask you how you're doing, that you always ask me, really? Do you really want to know? And I do. And I think writing that tricky line on a lot of digital relationships that we have is so important to talk about. And if you don't know James Pickles, he is a mental health advocate and he's sought after keynote speaker, but he does a lot of workshops and things within businesses as well who want to advance their team's prowess with how to live authentically. And we're going to touch on that. I'm not going to give him a big interview about his introduction in this episode because that's really what this whole episode is about. I want him to tell you his story and how he got to where he is. That is the thing that I'm pulling the curtain back on today. So he's going to tell you some kind of, you got to get ready for it. We're ready to actually know who he is and what he's feeling, what he's thinking and what he can offer. So James, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in this spot. This is such a compelling story about how you became a coach. Yeah, sure. And I like I guess the maybe the first thing that I should say is that I never planned it. And it wasn't a clever pivot that I made in COVID by assessing the winds of change in advance and cunningly repositioning myself to surf on the new wave of how the world was going to work. It was absolutely none of that stuff. I was just as afraid and confused as everybody else. Um 
around about actually slightly before COVID had been invented, if invented is the word, I thought quite comfortably in a sales director's position in an internet technology company, one of the big ones. And I was running off the back of several years of extraordinary success. Was at the centre of all kinds of good activity when it came to making tons of cash for helping people do research projects. So in many ways, living life, I suppose, professionally at least, and showing up in a way that I would have thought was honest. But as it turns out, only through a particular lens. So I'm not trying to tell you a story of uh, charlatanism, but rather I thought I was being honest. I was being as honest as I was capable of being at that time until out of the blue, a colleague once asked me how I was. And uh, I responded in the way that we all usually do, which is to say, fine, thank you. How are you? And they say, fine, thanks. And you move on. Only this time she said, but how are you really? Because you don't seem yourself. And I accidentally told the truth because I was so fatigued from running on empty and giving more than I had to give for so many years in the pursuit of constantly exceeding the targets that I was given. So I ended up saying, actually, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. But I couldn't finish the sentence. Instead of saying that, I burst into tears in front of her and also in front of my boss and the head of Europe and the most senior sales guy that worked for me and the technical director. And to my right, in the middle of a busy pub in Tower Hill in London, were 30 of the sales team that I also was heavily involved with. And surrounding us was about 150 market research professionals that had just been at a trade show. So here I am, not at all fine, in fact, sobbing uncontrollably with a red face and snot coming out my nose and couldn't stop. It turned out I was having an almost total physical and mental breakdown from accumulated stress over time. I should probably answer your question now. I've given too much preamble. Um, Long story short, nine months off, very, very ill, long-term sick leave, tons of therapy to learn how to talk. Since I had temporarily lost the ability to read and talk, such was the severity of my anxiety condition learned how to talk. And actually, I, and on reflection, I was learning how to talk like we talked when we were children, which is an unfiltered, say what you actually feel, say what you actually mean. And that had been drummed out of me as an adult and in the workplace. I'd forgotten how to talk and I learned how to talk, then went back on a phased return under a different job. Then COVID happened, then lockdowns and furlough and all that jazz. And All of a sudden, I was a very expensive, not working full-time guy that actually still wasn't very well and ended up being made redundant um, towards the end of 2020. So I had to do something different, Priscilla. That's such an interesting journey to being a coach. And I love that of saying it's not from a high, it's from a low. And yet there's such a beauty in that. But tell me about that rough spot of when you are learning now from the beginning how to speak to people. The reality is, is that you're also having to instruct people how to listen to something authentic as well. So tell me a bit about some of those bumps in the road as you opened up about these experiences. What were the reactions and what did you have to deal with? See, my mind is immediately transported back to when I was still very unwell, right? So I'm not working. I don't know how long it's going to take to get better enough to work. Very much halfway through the therapy journey. And I was spending an awful lot of time at the tennis club that's near my house because it's better than to be somewhere amongst people, even if you don't know them, than sat at home in your pants in your house by yourself feeling shit. And for my American compatriots, 
by pants, he means underwear. So it was a bigger visual than you would imagine. Go for it. A bigger visual. With, oh, thank you for saying bigger visual. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I, was, I was wearing fewer clothes. Uh, anyway, that's more of a metaphor than reality. I did, in fact, get dressed most days. So my wife plays tennis and I'd, I'd go along and I'd sit and have a coffee while she's playing with her friends so as to not get up in her business and let her be her, right? Because the one thing that I could state as being universally true is it's not just the ill person that suffers if you're in a partnership. So she's having, whilst I'm having a dreadful time, she's having equally as dreadful a time. So it's really important for her to get out and just have fun instead of looking after me all the time. But I'd be sat there having seemingly endless flat whites. And people would notice that I'm not the usual cohort of a tennis club in the middle of the day on a weekday. Most people would be out working. So some people who I'd kind of got to know, recognize and stuff, they're like, hey, how are you? And I made this decision that If I thought someone was actually asking, like my colleague had done that facilitated this breakdown, which needed to happen, by the way, so I'm glad that she did. If I thought they're really asking, I'd tell them the truth. Like, no, I'm not. The reason I'm here all the time, I'm not working at the moment. The reason I'm not working is because I'm ill. And the reason I'm ill is because I totally lost control of how to manage stress and pressure. I wasn't. And I wasn't looking after myself. So I'm unable to work. I'm ill. I don't know when I'm going to go back. So I'm not having fun at all. And then I'll just stop because I don't know what what depth of question there is. And I'd let them react to that. And in the early days, even though I'd made this decision to tell the truth and speak openly, I still didn't know how people were going to respond to it. And I had to learn what it looks like when somebody's taken by surprise by that. And uh, I had to learn that how they look isn't necessarily a judgment of what they've of me of what they've heard it's more a judgment of how unusual it is that someone tells the truth to a question mm, that's another depth there because in that moment you're also providing empathy for them because they're experiencing it now in a different way than how you were first experiencing it. Obviously for you, incredibly visceral, but in that moment, they're having to process that. And it is, continues to be very unusual. So tell me a little bit about some of the good outcomes in a few of those conversations. Like what kind of kept you going and being willing to be open like that and keep doing that experiment? Well, it happened fairly quickly, actually, because I was turning it into a new habit. And habits take, I've heard, about 90 days to stick. So you've got to deliberately do something different before it becomes innate. Um, So I'm still in the early days of it. But what I noticed over and over and over again, that, that something was present and something was absent. And the thing that was present was curiosity and empathy and reciprocity. So usually if I went first and showed a bit of vulnerability and told the truth, more often than not, that would open the door for that person to do the same. I tell you right now, Priscilla, for some of them, that is the conversation they needed to have. It wasn't about me. They needed to have the opportunity, the outlet, the time and the place to equally fess up like I had done some months right. before. I'm not all right. I'm not all right. And one of the things that you feel, well, that I felt, I won't speak for the entire world, but when you're struggling like that, you feel isolated, broken, alone, embarrassed, ashamed, but mostly isolated and alone. And I discovered to my utter amazement in practically every facet in my life, not only was I not alone then, but if I'd only had the courage to speak up and tell my truth a little bit earlier, I would have realized I was never alone. I was always surrounded, always by somebody that would have understood if only I had just opened the door. 
And yes. the thing that was just to finish that was negative judgment. Mm-hmm. And did they vocalize that? Did you get a lot of direct negative feedback or was it just what you read as negative and they walked away and just kind of ignored you? So, well, actually, let's take negative away, actually, because what would happen is people that weren't comfortable in sitting in that space, either hearing me speak openly or them feeling like they wanted to but couldn't or something, people just remove themselves mm-hmm. and they don't shout angrily over their shoulder as they do so. They just remove themselves. So think, well, that's okay. You don't have to sit here. That's fine. And, you know, when it comes to the meaningful relationships in my life, I still have plenty. Yes, the scope and scale of the relationships that I had before I was ill is different now than it was before, but difference not necessarily worse. It's different. And the one, the people that stuck around, the quality of our relationship, because it's mutual, I would argue is substantially better as a result of this openness than it was before. Different, definitely better in the main. And there's a bunch of people I don't talk to anymore. And that's fine too. Okay. So fast forward us a little bit, because I really want to get into this really great stuff of what you've learned and what you're continuing to learn and how, when you now are not okay, (laughs) what you do with that, because we all wax and wane. This is not just a one time fixes us type of scenario. What you're teaching and what you've learned is that this is an ongoing process. So fast forward us just a little bit to this part where you do make a pivot. Granted, it wasn't crafted and designed from on high as this mean, I know exactly what I'm going to do, but you did craft this amazing pivot. And now you are reaching out and you're helping individuals, you're helping teams. So tell me a little bit about how that transpired, how you started that coaching business and what you started with. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this show's sponsor. Are you looking for experts and tools to collect research data worldwide? Global sampling, field management, and data collection are just some of the services that Gazelle Global provides. Visit gazelleglobal.com to learn more about how our expertise can help you unearth quality data that drives meaningful insights. Get your research done anywhere around the world quickly and efficiently. Visit gazelleglobal.com today. That was a couple of things going on at the same time. So one of them was, I've just been made redundant way back when. So I need to find a way to earn a living. Got no idea what that's going to look like. Absolutely full of fear. Massive identity crisis too. As it turns out, I'd given what felt like 95% of my identity to the job that I did for so long. I actually didn't know who I was without it. So there's a bit of a period of rediscovery there. Along the way, my therapist suggested, it's quite rare for a therapist to suggest stuff, but she suggested since I really seemed to love some of the work that I was doing that looked a bit like coaching, she said, why don't you go and learn to be a coach? immediately practically laughed in her face and went don't be ridiculous I can barely function and uh, she said I didn't say be one I said learn about it so I think you'll find it's interesting and that was part of me rediscovering that it's actually okay to try stuff without having to commit to it for the rest of your life like when you're a kid you're allowed to try things and you're allowed to fail at them so that you can learn and you get to decide whether you carry on or not and I'd forgotten that professionally mm-hmm. So I went ahead and studied, went back to school, as it were, got a diploma in executive coaching. And along the way, because I decided to tell the truth, was telling the truth about where I'd been and what happened to me. And one of the things I spoke the truth about was, yeah, I've just been made redundant. I'm not going to fake it out as some kind of choiceful career break. No, my family and I are not traveling the world in a 
whimsical way, I've just been told I've got no job. Mm. Um, so that's true. And a bunch of people that I've met over the years who I also told the truth to about what had happened to me in terms of mental and physical breakdown and panic attacks and stuff were very curious. And a couple of them asked me if I wouldn't mind delivering a talk to the team because they're worried about a couple of other people and they didn't know how to open the conversation on that internally. I think that's common because if you haven't experienced that, you may sense it coming in someone else, but you also feel so trepidatious about how do I broach this and how do I not be rude or how do I really be a resource, but without singling someone out when, like you said, a lot of times those feelings are isolating and aloneness. And so you want to be able to say, Hey, I'm here for you. But if you haven't experienced that, it can be very hard to find those words, how to do it. So have you seen that as you come in and are able to tell that story, it starts opening up the conversation in groups? Yeah, sure, because it's really hard to go first. No one wants to go first, particularly if it's an internal meeting, particularly if it's organized by internal people, and some of them might be your boss or your peers. You don't want to go first. No one likes going first, really. So I'm, I, I see my role as the person that goes first. I'll use this story to hold it up against you. You can use it like a mirror to reflect against and pick out little bits of resonance. And you know, I'm very careful about, how the Q&A happens, because as it turns out, it's not really about the story. That's just to set the scene. It's all about the Q&A and the discourse that we can encourage. Um, so my role is to create create the time and the place. You know, everyone goes, oh, there's a time and a place for that. Well, there can be. It's hard, but you've got to create it. I'll do that. I'll keep it psychologically safe. And anyway, you don't report to me and I don't report to you. So I've got no skin in your professional game here, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we'll handle questions anonymously. and. Going back to your your query before, Priscilla, one of the things, the life-altering things that I've learned, and I hasten to add, this isn't a victim story. I'm not the victim of some to- evil, toxic overlord culture of before, not at all. I'm profoundly grateful for the time that I spent there. Admittedly, the last year was not so fun, but there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But mostly, I'm really grateful for what I've learned, chiefly that I don't actually know how I feel and what I think until I've said it out loud. I'm not sure I ever knew what I thought or felt until I'd said it out loud, but I'd lost the courage to do so for fear that people might think I'm silly or not have the answers or unprofessional or, I don't know, just lost the habit over the years. That's, that's what I'm trying to give back, like a chance for someone to say out loud in order to know what they're thinking rather than the other way around. Well, I won't say anything until I know what I think. You talk about this life-altering moment, revealing moment, a hard moment, and probably in one of the worst scenarios that you can imagine with all of your peers, <laughs> right? So you definitely wouldn't have planned it this way. So you had this very, very difficult moment. Did you see signs leading up to that that you felt like you ignored, or did you just not have the skills or the understanding in order to see them coming? What is your perception of how that moment happened, how it was so big of a moment? Well, a few minutes ago, I, I would have used a phrase along the lines of, oh, out of the blue or out of nowhere. It wasn't out of the blue, it wasn't out of nowhere. There were masses of signs over time, but they start so small, so subtle, like the frog in the pot of water. The water was fine when I first jumped in, but it got hotter and hotter and hotter. There were loads of signs. And your question is, did I see them or did I ignore them? Or 
did I have an understanding? Um, I did ignore them, but I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know what I was ignoring. I just knew that it was uncomfortable and difficult. And I didn't have the vocabulary or the opportunity. And I didn't know who to about it anyway. And also, of course, I was totally locked into the idea that you say nothing at all until you absolutely know what you, what's going on. You don't chance your arm on that. There were tons of signs, but I didn't have the appetite to explore them. I didn't have the knowledge and the understanding. I also, crucially, didn't have the opportunity or the people that felt safe to do it with. Plus, there were no role models for that. No one that I was looking at that could have taught me. So now you are that role model for a lot of people. And what you actually said is just being the person who goes first. Like it's not much more difficult than that. I love that breakdown is saying my story is not more. It's not less. It doesn't have to be categorized. It doesn't have to be this or that. The other, sometimes there's just a massive power in being the first to tell the story, break that seal and get people understanding that there's a process here. But what would you say to your younger self? What would you wish that you could have known in order to see those signs or address things sooner? It's a great question, right? In the talks and workshops that I host, it's you've struck upon perhaps one of the most common questions that comes up. What intervention could I have taken with myself had I hopped in my time machine at just the right moment? It's a good question. Unfortunately, former me wouldn't have listened because former me was pretty damn convinced that there was no problem. Because I was only looking at numbers and performance and professional success for all of my validation. So I would have been extremely difficult to help. You have to know you've got a problem to ask for help. And that's actually that's a, perhaps a mild tangent. That's my argument with these employee assistant programs that companies spend all their money on. Hey, don't worry, you can call this helpline, right? All you've got to do is just call it up and they'll help you. But you have to know that you need help. It's like I've gone out for a lovely swim and now I've become really tired and I'm drowning. I've never drowned before. And you're saying, well, as soon as you start drowning, just swim to the side to the lifeguard. It's bullshit. I'm <laughs> Know the signs of drowning. <laughs> like, I've never done it before. I love that. That is just such a great way for people to really also be released from that shame that you mentioned. Like, it's not your fault that you don't see it. Nobody's taught you these skills. Nobody gave you the manual about how it creeps up on you ever so slowly. So if I was to go back into my time machine at the beginning of when I began to drown, advice wouldn't work because I wouldn't listen to that. But questions might have. If somebody had taken me out of the drowning environment, so to speak, and just asked me questions about what is the cost that you're operating at? What is the cost to you of operating at that level? Is it worth it? What is the cost to your family for you earning this money in the way that you have? How much is enough? I might have engaged with questions and that might have just sort of knocked me out of the pattern that I was in. But I would have needed me to be more senior than me to engage with that. And I would have needed someone to go first in just demonstrating how one can be strong and vulnerable simultaneously. Well, I believe in this work so much and I do believe that we need more of it. And I know I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit because you didn't come on the show just to pitch your wares, but I do want to use my audience for people to hear what you do and to know how to access what you offer. And if it is resonating with them, you will find your right people. But tell us a little bit about how that works. You mentioned going first. You mentioned that there are issues about psychological safety. And they're also just about people opening up at a work environment 
is risking their livelihood. That's how they will perceive it. So explain to us how you break that down, how you might come into a work setting and get the conversation started and then how that might work forward. Do you mean in in the context of a workshop or a talk that I would deliver? Yeah. Well, it is difficult. I've done about 50 talks to organizations, big and small, lots of hybrid stuff, which isn't my favorite. I like people. So I like to be with them if I can, but nevertheless, yeah, I'll go first. No one wants to go first. So I'll tell the story. People can reflect against it. Um, If they want to ask questions or make comments, I make it really easy. Like the rules of engagement are get your phone out, have your phone in your hand. You don't have to hide it in your lap like you do for all other meetings. Um, Have your phone out. We'll use Slido for that. People can add comments, ask questions, totally anonymous. There is no way for anyone to know who asks what. So that's where it starts. Um, I already know largely what the questions are going to be. I've recorded anonymously several hundred of them, and there's about eight categories. So I kind of know what we're going to get. And actually, I'm encouraged with whoever it is that's brave enough to book me in to talk in front of their team. I make sure to share that with them in the beginning because we are going to lift the lid on something. Not all the people whose lids are lifted know that they're in trouble until that moment so we need to make sure that they are catered to so i'll do it that way and because i'm a coach now and a mental health first aid trained person too i always offer confidential conversations afterwards anyway whether or not the client wants to pay for them i'm doing them Uh, so people have that opportunity to take whatever their first step is which might not be ongoing coaching with me i'm just because i'm i might argue i'm quite good at it um it's not about that you need to find the right person for you whatever point in the journey you are and that might not be me but I might help you find them I might help you take the step that leads you towards that person or or actually a a medical practitioner maybe you need a a counselor or a therapist or a trip to your GP your doctor so that's I might have answered your question properly I'm not sure that I have yeah you did well I think for me one of those takeaways would be a really great question if I get any inclination that someone really does want to know how I am or if I could explain to them and express to them that I do care for an authentic answer from them. I love that question you posed is, are you comfortable with the cost of being you? And I know you probably said it a little bit better than I just did, but that's kind of in my own words. It's like the way you're showing up, the cost that it is to be who you are right now in your world. Are you good with that cost? If you are then that's great. And it's so subjective. And it really takes that judgment you talked about earlier out of the mix. And it lets people self-assess. Some people run at a higher rail. Some people want things to be mellow. The point is, is that okay with you? Are you fully understanding what you're paying and what your family is paying for that outcome? So I just love that. I feel like you gave me a new tool So I want people to go check out what you do. Also, I've really enjoyed being connected with you on LinkedIn and the authentic conversation. So definitely go connect with James on LinkedIn. It's so simple. James Pickles, P-I-C-K-L-E-S, exactly how you think it is. So it'll be easy to find him. But also go check out jamespicklescoaching.co.uk. He has some other resources and some good information there. And I think you would find it of interest. I hope that you can take one piece from this today. And whether that's offering some kind of a respite to somebody who you sense is struggling, or if you're struggling, 
And you need to ask yourself that question and maybe find somebody you can talk to. You obviously know that James is super approachable, but I do want you to think about stop for a minute. Where do I go next? How do I really get comfortable with the cost that I'm having? James, what's your parting thought for this? Because this has been a pretty intense conversation. If I'm allowed to, I'll give you two. I end all of my talks in this way as a sort of semi-rhetorical question, you know, which just builds on what you're saying. How hot are you running? And are you happy with the cost of that? Uh, Just take a moment to genuinely inquire of oneself. How am I really? How am I really feeling? Not the beaming out version of that that the world seems to want to hear. How am I really? And thinking now really about people that are coming back from their holiday season and maybe if they've got kids, the kids are still at home eating all the food, making a constant mess everywhere. You're about to charge back into whatever normalcy looks like. And for some people, that'll be back-to-back meetings, it'll be Zoom, be stuff across different time zones and all the rest. And I would argue that diaries, before you come back from holiday, you have an opportunity to stick some gaps in sticks and gaps in that are just for you to think, move, drink, breathe, prepare, be. And I was pondering this today, I was talking to somebody, and, and certainly in the UK, if you, you've been on the underground tube system in London, Priscilla, right? So you, yep. you get these automated safety messages, perhaps you have them in other countries too. And it's about minding the gap. As the doors open or close, some voice goes, mind the gap, mind the gap. And I'm thinking about that right now. Mind the gap. Have you, has your diary got gaps? between meetings, between tasks for you? If not, why not? And if it does, mind them. You Don't let someone take them away from you. You'll, you'll do a better job. I love that because almost everybody runs without a margin for error. And that is kind of a recipe for disaster. So James, thank you so much. Just I really appreciate you being willing to open up and share your story. I really enjoyed it when I had a live workshop with you. We were discussing LinkedIn and you opened up and told your story. And I mean, the reaction in the room, it really helped to move us to a very good place and help people understand how you're showing up online needs to also be a reflection of how you're showing up in person. And I love it that you always seem to add to the conversation. So thank you so much for your time today on our show. Well, thank you, Priscilla. I was really, really pleased to be invited since we had so much fun in London not that long ago. So it was cool just to hang out again. Well, from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, thanks for listening. Have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.